Ever wonder why 95% of leads do not convert? Why cold call rates are down and prospects don't open our emails? Why our responses of robocalls and implanting pixels to track user interaction, mostly without permission, is backfiring spectacularly? Well, that's what we intend to find out here in the Buyerside Chat podcast. There are scores of podcasts about selling, but most miss the shift that has come upon the buying selling process. The initiative has since moved from the supply to the demand side. The Buyer Side Chat, your podcast of record for B2B buying, talks to actual buyers, persons, not personas, in the quest to understand the real buyer's journey, their trials and tribulations, challenges and outcomes they're striving for. Welcome to the Buyer Side Chat. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Today we have with us Slav Vasilevsky, Head of Procurement IT and Digital, Sourcing Strategy Expert, Category Lead, Community Builder, Consultant and Advisor. My wishful thinking is to have a distributed contract, smart contract, which interacts both with multiple parties, which interacts with the research parties, with the benchmarking parties, with the suppliers, with the internal uh, governance bodies, all the parties that I have to deal with when I put together a contract putting a negotiation, and which will not be locked, but which would have moving parts throughout the life of the uh, contract itself and would automatically adjust and self-execute. That is my vision because to have a contract that is um, that delivers constantly high value is very difficult and times impossible. By the time you sign the contract, something else has changed in the market or internally or within the supply organization and you're locked into what you have. So how do you make it always moving and adjusting itself? That would be my uh, nirvana. Meet Slav Vasilevsky, Head of Procurement, IT and Digital, Sourcing Strategy Expert, Category Lead, Community Builder, Consultant and Advisor. He's a seasoned thought leader with end-to-end exposure to sourcing, procurement, contract negotiations, vendor management in FMCG, food, banking and life sciences. Slav has over 20 years of experience. He holds a Master of Business from Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology and studied digital transformation at Columbia Business School. Slav has previously worked at Syngenta, ANZ Banking Group, and L'Oreal. He's an expert in acquiring, implementing, and running technology and managing technology vendors. Slav's latest experience is with the Digital Procurement World, a global digital procurement event which took place in Amsterdam recently, where he has mentored a team at the Hackathon. His team was awarded a second prize for the concept of circular sourcing. Now, on to this insightful conversation with Slav Vasilevsky. Slav, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm delighted to have you here and uh, tell us a bit about yourself and so listeners get to know who I'm speaking to. Thank you, Shabanjan. Thank you very much for inviting me in the first place. And uh, I am delighted to be here and talk about uh, whatever we end up talking, but primarily about the relationship between the buyers and sellers and how educate each other. Um, I have probably around 25 years of uh, experience of working in diverse industries. I have started off 
with uh, working for L'Oreal um, in Australia. Then I joined a company called Valentine's Confectionery, which is a chocolate manufacturer in Australia. From there on, I moved on to the uh, banking industry where I spent 10 years working on different aspects of pre-contract execution, post-contract execution, the quality of the technology delivery service, <clears throat> and also e-commerce elements. And then uh, from Australia, I flew to Switzerland and spent the last 10 years uh, working for Syngenta Crop Protection, which is a, a big chemical company, agrochemical company, and which actually was acquired by a Chinese conglomerate, and it's now actually even bigger. From January last year, I stepped away from my previous role from the company, and I've been working with uh, diverse startups uh, and corporate organizations, small businesses, mostly educating startups on how to engage with corporates. And a lot of startups, they make assumptions. They do not all know how to penetrate the wall of corporate. And it's B2B is a different reality than B2C. Fantastic. So let's start right there. What is it that you think that the sellers and this whole new crop of startups who are coming up with fantastic new ideas, great technology, uh, thinking that this will solve this big problem that business has, what is it that they're missing? What is it that they don't know when they're approaching uh, large corporates or businesses? I wouldn't put it as they don't know. I think uh, there is a reason and purpose why startups behave as they behave. And I think, and I admire that. They usually, I would like to think that there is a problem and the solution developed for a problem. And so the startups then trying to sell this solution to uh, a corporate. And thinking there is that I have a solution to your problem. Um, the corporates think differently, and I hope this over time will change in both corporates, B2B world, and B2C uh, consumer and the business world will be thinking similarly. Um, the business operates through um, the rules of governance, compliance, good, good citizenship practice, and all of that, uh, I noticed that most startups do not realize that there is uh, processes of how people, how corporates buy, how corporates engage with the startups. And um, most of the conversations that I had were around who do I engage, who do I go to first, what do I, do I talk about solution that I have, how they, even the simple understanding of how corporate structured is probably, in, in a lot of cases, I suggested, try to understand the different parts of the organization because for you to understand is your solution for procurement, is your solution for HR or any other part of the organization, you need to know which part of the, the corporate you're addressing and uh, start by doing your research as to the structure of the company because that will probably lead you to the right person. You need to find the decision maker, you need to find the person that you can pitch to. There could be several attempts Eventually, if you hit the right person with the right solution, you will get traction. How do you actually identify the decision maker? Because from, from outside, 
the, the organizations are pretty opaque, right? Nobody is telling that in the HR, these are the three people who will finally talk to each other and take the final call. How do you get that information if you're a startup? The nature of the solution would probably take the startup to a variety of people. And uh, people, depending, if your solution addressing a specific problem that everybody is aware of within the corporate and everybody is looking for this solution, then it is going to be one type of conversation. If your solution is innovative, disrupting, and people have no idea of how it might work, then you have to find a person who is curious enough who can actually match your solution with the corporate reality. Then hopefully point you to the person who might find your solution useful. And that there could be several iterations. And it doesn't really apply to only setups. I dealt with companies like Gartner, the, who actually know what they do. I'm, that's not the point. But the point there is a um, new account director comes in. They have no idea how to sell best their services, their solutions to, within the organization. So they need to start somewhere. Some would approach me directly and ask me, tell me more about your company. Who is who in this organization? Because not because I'm spying on you, because it'll help me sell you uh, what you need rather than wasting your time, maybe somebody else's mind, by putting, doing the mismatching, having mismatching conversations. How do you see the buying process actually changing? How has the buyer changed uh, in the last 25 years? 20 years ago, um, there was. Hardly, I mean, I think Outlook was not even there. We just started having mobile phones. Emails were just starting. Everything was done primarily through either the phone or the face-to-face conversations. Gradually, I think, without realizing you adopt, adjust, and make part of your life all of this uh, electronic elements of doing business. That's how it's changed. Today, you have a plethora of uh, office productivity solutions. One is better than the other. One is richer than the other. And uh, I think it is just then fit for purpose becomes the purpose. The, the way you make a decision around which one you use is fit for purpose. Uh, Microsoft Teams have undergone massive change over the last three years. Remember when they, when they started with the, with the Teams, there was slight resistance. Uh, now, I think it's very difficult to tell the difference between, and there's a very heavy competition between Zoom, between Microsoft Teams. This is just, again, on the topic of how it has changed. My preference is to deal with people face-to-face. Nothing can replace face-to-face. We are in COVID, so everything is done face-to-face, but virtually. And I think there's a fatigue of face-to-face. And uh, look at the clubhouse. The not having a face is a good thing. Yeah. And I think people go, we go through the cycles of getting tired of um, video was supposed to be a new audio, then there was a proliferation of the video became, the, it became too much, so we're going back towards audio only. God knows what will be next. Hopefully, you know, somebody was talking holographic images and uh, because I was heavily involved in rolling out the telepresence, you know, the full... Uh, video studios for the corporates. 
which was a fantastic experience, and that was my preferred way if you cannot be face-to-face. The second best was to have that full-size video within, in the boardroom where you feel you are sitting actually at the same table. The whole buyer-seller relationship 20 years back was sort of skewed to seller because the seller by the nature of the job and the nature of the role had always had more information than the buyer, right? This is the pre-internet days. Mm-hmm. The internet-like democratizing a lot of things also democratized information. And what it did was this information asymmetry, which was sort of working in favor of the sellers because they could selectively share or, or withhold mm-hmm. information and thereby uh, sort of manage their own and the buyer's ex- expectations and so on, is now gone completely. And not only that, the buyer is far more informed today than the, the seller is. How How is that impacting the buyer's behavior and the way the buying process uh, is evolving? I think the quantity can never replace the quality. That would be the short answer. The fact that uh, the buyer has uh, various sources and overabundance of information, I think sometimes plays against the buyer because there's only so many hours in the day. And as a buyer, you might be managing multiple contracts of so several categories and multiple suppliers. How do you dedicate time and how much, how much effort do you need to process all this information? That is the big question. So it is, uh, I think the progression of it was good, you know, democratizing the, the information and knowledge uh, and creating a parity between buying and selling side. It, it's all good. But I think now it's coming to the point where both seller and the buyer, they have too much information and it's not enough. It's continuously growing because we're creating new, new data points to collect more information. I think the difference between then and now is the availability of technology that is capable of processing that information on our behalf. And I think that is the huge game changer that is coming. Hopefully it is already here, uh, that is capable of scanning all sources of information, extract the needed information, process it, and ask and answer your question, so what? Because that's often what I, I I'm personally struggle. You know, you get bombarded with so much information from a supplier, from the market research company, or from your own research. But you need to be able to answer the question, so what? What does it mean to me? What decisions do I need to make? And uh, I think, the, again, the volume of the information makes it impossible sometimes. You um, get into the analysis paralysis, so to speak. So having the augmented decisioning by you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, I think it's a good thing. Going beyond that, I don't know, I'm still in two minds because there's, there's ongoing debate around Humans better or machines are better? Will the machines take over? Can they take over, especially in the buying space, which is negotiation? Negotiation to me, especially as a risk, high risk and high value, is about relationship. And machines may struggle at this point. Has the equation changed? I mean, I understand the, the onslaught of lot of information is posing different challenges, but mm-hmm. Fundamentally, has it changed the equation between the buyer and the seller? That's question number one. Mm 
And question number two is, if we accept that a pure form technology is not available, which can actually independently interpret data that is already there and spit out a right. so what answer, what mm -hmm. are buyers doing today to make sense of the quantum of information? So how are you managing it today? How are organizations managing that today? And B, how has it changed the buyer-seller equation? Um, I think the first question is easier because my simple answer is going to be no, it hasn't changed. And I think it is not, it, it is my perception rather than reality because as a buyer, you always, I always guess what it is that I don't know about the supplier. You know, there's some objective information or some financial information available that I can verify, check, go to Dan Bertrand, go to, to Gartner, uh, IDC, and so on. But there are internal workings of that organization, internal decision-making, and the internal pressures that I may not be aware of. And that's always be a mystery to me as a buyer. As much as I would like to say and to think that I have 200% of everything that's going on in the company, I don't think it is uh, possible. The second question, the availability of information. I think dealing with information, we have adapted to this by creating trusted channels. Uh, market research company is the first place of call for me after I have received the request to buy a good or a service. I want to request my trusted parties to tell me the give me the slice of the the market for this product or service. Tell me who the best company or who should I engage with the top ten, top six, the shortlist who I request information. I think that was uh, probably best practice, let's say, in the last ten years. The last few years, I see this changing because all of a sudden, I want to have. I, want, I don't want to be limited by just the ten suppliers, the twenty suppliers. I want to invite all of my suppliers to participate in my event because there could be some suppliers that I don't know uh, of that can deliver the, the value that I'm aware of to my deal. And uh, availability of the, the technology that can scan and process that information from unlimited number of participants is my best, next best practice. It's time for a short break. The role of external experts in helping procurement teams at the buyer's end is now well entrenched. As we come back from the break, I ask Slav, what role do external subject matter experts and even customer review sites like G2 and Captera play in the modern decision-making flow? We will continue after the break. Stay with us. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us 
at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at b-i-z-c-a-s-t dot i-n Business Podcast Network Podcasts end to end Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host and founder of Pitchling, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Right before the break, I was discussing with Slav how external inputs and experts are influencing the B2B buyer's decision-making process. Here is his take. Listen in. So you just mentioned a market research company. Mm-hmm. So what kind of role do these supplemental services which help you augment your understanding of a, a huge quantum of data, uh, how does that work? How do external advisors that you can typically hire, uh, what we call subject matter experts, oh, I'm going to buy a CRM and I'm going to buy it for a bank, but I know there are these three guys who are basically experts in banking uh, CRM softwares or ERP softwares, I'll talk to them or hire one of them to advise us through this process, right? Mm-hmm. So these, these people. And third is this rise of the new generation review sites, right? Like G2 and Captera and so on. Where do each of these fit in into the buying decision-making process? The reason why we created this trusted third parties is to save time and we have the relationship we often pay for that relationship it is not a free-to-all you pay a subscription to have access to information and the role of those third parties is to constantly scan the market and do the assessment on the plethora of uh, parameters and then give me the gist or give me the precise information I'm after I may not know the supplier, I would come into uh, uh, Forrester or Gartner or IDC and would say, uh, in R&D technology, I need XYZ solution. Who is the best to offer it to me? And I expect that um, not only a name of a supplier, I expect the background around what the market looks like, who is the best, who is the second best, who is the challenger in the market, and... uh, also, I would expect the pricing information. The, your solution that you're looking at, uh, for is priced between X and Z. And so that, that gives me an information that I can share to my internal clients or verify the budget expectations of the internal, internal clients. Often the internal clients build it on the, their best effort, knowledge, the best knowledge that they have. Doing some more precisioning may improve that information, so which will create the budget saving. In some cases, it goes the other way around, which gives an alert to the project or to the uh, internal client that their budget is not uh, up to speed with the reality of the market. So they they have the role to play. Right, and what about what about the external subject matter experts or the reviews? I think for the growing market of startups, they're very critical because they give, uh, in the absence of any aggregate review of the market, having these service providers, I think, is an excellent way of uh, having these islands of information that you can 
land on and collect the, or at least peruse the information and maybe make your own decision as to who you would like to engage with, who are the best in this sector, in this subsector. I remember I engaged um, an external party to do a precise research for the, the layout of the startups in Europe. But I had no knowledge and I knew that going to Gartner or to Forrester would not give me that information because it was something, let's call it extracurriculum for them. For them. There's certainly a proliferation of startups and with startups they come with services that offer you to match matching services, which you know, two years ago I didn't know there were matching services. If I need to find a startup, I don't need to go to Gartner, I just need to pay X thousand dollars to a, a company and they will match my needs with the specific skills of the startups or they will create a specific team for multiple startups for your needs. Good. My future vision of procurement is that there will be a canvas full of this multitude of uh, drag and drop services that you just do, do the search, try one, if it doesn't deliver, you try the other one. That may come, but it's not there yet. So there's place and time for those review sites. Um, some are better than the others. And sometimes when you read through, when I read through the top 10, I question myself. Um, why are they top? What makes them top? Just because somebody said so. It, it, there's some, some of them lacking that uh, substance or factual information to explain to the audience why you should go to this top 10 and not to the other you know, below, at least below. How much of the decision-making is influenced by the informal discussions? that procurement uh, professionals are having outside of their organization with peer groups from other organizations? It is a way of benchmark, of verifying your thoughts, suspicions, suspicions, and your own perceptions of certain suppliers because we, you would ask the question, how do you go about engaging with this supplier? How do you feel working with XYZ? Do you get the value that they promise? You've implemented the solution. We do have. We have had it at the CPO level, at the center of expertise level, at the pure eye connected with my peers in uh, Roche and Novartis to understand what they're doing and how successful implementation of some of the technologies uh, has been. And I think there's uh, quite a bit of value there because it's difficult to transpose that value on, onto your organization. But certainly when you hear that some automation exercise didn't go well because it took, instead of three months, a whole year, and it cost twice as much, and in the end it didn't deliver what we were expecting to, it would deliver, that you then start questioning, okay, you, you wouldn't question that the market is not ready for that, but you would be probably well prepared and ask relevant questions to the suppliers uh, when you engage with them. So I see it, it is valuable, but not as valuable as formal market channels that you have. Your trusted channels, you trust them because they themselves have this uh, governing channels to make sure that they're uh, equitable, that they're fair, that the information is factual, and everything is above the board. 
So you don't even question those things. When you go to the informal circles, um, there is always the thought at the back of my head, is it a personal perception, is it a, a representative uh, perception or information or opinion of the entire organization? Uh, how do I treat this information? So it Got it. End, up, end up treating it as a, it's a personal, somebody shares personal views, so you take it as such. What do you see is the future of procurement? Because as we all know, 20 years back, procurement was the negotiation guys, right? So the decisions were made. Their job was to go and beat down the price to the least possible. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, from then, a lot of things have happened. A uh, lot of changes have happened. So where do you see procurement going from where it is today, say in the next five years? I think five years' time is such a short period of time that uh, what we see today is uh, procurement is full of uh, transformation and transitioning right now. And uh, I've spoken to some CPOs um, over Christmas time, and uh, feedback that I received was that I have implemented my P2P solution. I have collected the low-hanging fruit as far as what digital technology could offer me at this point. I am now in the process of uh, focusing on sustainability, which sustainability is a very big topic, and yeah. I think it's rightfully so. Yeah. And I think so. If, if anything, we would see the proliferation of technology addressing the sustainability more so than just digital, generic digital, uh, yeah. you know, with the flavor of AI or mobility or big data. I think that is that has to become more precise and has to talk to specific needs of procurement. And I think where I see this need and being for a number of years very actively. Uh, uh, addressed is the sustainability and uh, yes, sustainability issues of every value chain. So you said that five years is too short. So let's go long. Mm -hmm. you, you tell me where do you see it uh, in the long uh, long term? Which is I, I, I let you decide the period that you want to talk about. I would say 10-15 years time is a good stretch of time because I uh, rather than making my own assumption because it will be more a wish list. It is uh, looking at the mature, maturing, speed of maturing of technology. And when I look at the Gartner um, hype cycle or hype report of the technology that is available now, the vessels which will be available in two years and five years, in ten years, there is quite there's a little increment of what's going to be available now versus what may mature over a period of ten years. And that's why I'm adding extra five years to that, you know, 10, 10, 15 years. Then what we see in the um, Hive report of Gartner um, in terms of cybersecurity, in terms of artificial or machine learning, all of these things hopefully will mature beyond uh, bot interface that we see today, and that's being called a greater thing. I'm not trying to minimize the, the progress of technology, and I think that the, I see... I imagine there's going to be a lot of value in distributed ledger or the way the distributed information um, being managed. And uh, my wishful thinking is to have a distributed contract, smart contract, 
which interacts both with multiple parties, which interacts with the research parties, with the benchmarking parties, with the suppliers, with the internal uh, governance bodies, all the parties that I have to deal with when I put together a contract for the negotiation, and which will not be locked, but which would have moving parts throughout the life of the uh, contract itself and would automatically adjust and self-execute. That is my vision because to have a contract that is um, that delivers constantly high value is very difficult and times impossible. By the time you sign the contract, something else has changed in the market or internally or within the supply organization and you're locked into what you have. So how do you make it always moving and adjusting itself? That would be my uh, nirvana. Interesting. Agile agile contracts. Huh? So, so it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, very, very interesting period ahead. I think a lot of technology, like you rightly said, I mean, a lot of hype is there, no doubt. I mean, I think AI is far from matured, but then it will mature very, very quickly and mm-hmm. it will be all over us uh, before we know it. The Buyer Site Chat is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer seller engagement platform. Pitchlink enables high quality interactions between buyers and sellers through presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create personalized sales presentations and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive buyer qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer seller conversation. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 650-847-5884. That is 650-847-5884. This was a nice discussion and I, I, would, love to, I would love to continue this in some form. Uh, thank, thank you, Shubhanjan. Thank you for inviting me and I enjoyed the conversation and uh, let's do this again. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes featuring great conversations including Philip Eidson, founder of Art of Procurement and many others, unraveling in depth how the real buyers buy. Stay tuned. Most things that an organization buys, they don't buy it every single day. You know, they'll be buying it once every three years or once every five years or, you know, whatever the time frame is. And so you look at the ROI on having your own internal expertise in that. Most companies, and again, there's always those that are outliers, you know, the biggest companies in the world, they can afford to have somebody who's an expert in, in everything that they buy. Most most companies can't, so they'll just have generalists. Those generalists don't have access to all the market insights and data to actually help them make those decisions. And that access, that data can be expensive. Um, and so I think it's just a natural way that the community comes together or a group of people come together to help each other when they don't have all the information. Thank you for being with us today on the Buyer Side Chat. This is the podcast of record for the Buyer Side Journey. And those who know, that's the journey that matters. We hope this conversation helped you with insights that you can go and apply right now to your own value transaction process. See you in the next episode of the Buyer Side Chat. 